0: Hello, and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Come on, welcome to church, guys. Come on, come on. Very cool to be with you this evening. My name is Gabe Phillips, and welcome to week one of our brand new Christmas series called Jesus is King. We we wanted to say, no matter where you stand... We got there before Kanye, we own that phrase, so we can claim it whenever we want. Let me just get this out the way, if you're wondering if a miracle has taken place, Gabe was blind, but now he can see, no, I'm still blind, I just can't find my glasses, so um, just want to tell you, you've never looked better. <laughs> Honestly, some of you got much more attractive since I lost my glasses. Anyway, let's move on, let's move on. Welcome to our series, we're so excited and uh, we start tonight a four-week journey preparing for Christmas, preparing for the, what we believe as the Christian church is one of the greatest times of the year when the whole world stop and, and, and acclaim that Jesus is Lord. And we're so excited about this and Kanye West, if you are familiar with what's going on, Kanye West, the notorious rapper puts out an album called Jesus is King, and the world becomes ablaze and abuzz with the statement that's reverberating through the hallways of society. But I want to tell you tonight, this series is not about Kanye. You can relax. Because actually for us, we're not here to debate whether it's a legitimate salvation or there's some other marketing ploy in the background. We want to say that the phrase Jesus is King is true no matter who says it. And we want to reclaim that phrase and say, actually, at this time, at this moment, we're not looking for, uh, the is not about the cute and cuddly Christmas story. This is about the all-blazing Christmas glory, the one of Jesus Christ coming back to earth. And actually, we're preparing for Christmas when Jesus came to earth, but it is, for us, a preparation ongoingly, knowing that we are living with an expectation that He is coming back. And that is this, this is just prep for us to warm up for the main event that's still yet to come, when every eye will see, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. So we want to say tonight, Jesus is King, and Christmas is an opportunity for us not just to say it and declare it from the, the parapet of, of churches around the world, but actually in our own hearts to make sure that that has got truth and relevance behind it. I want to ask you tonight, is Jesus King of your life, every area? And I pray that this series will underline that for you and I. So this evening, we're going to read a text of Scripture together, Isaiah chapter 9. If you've got your Bibles, I'd love you to turn there. If you've got a smartphone, why don't you look it up? If not, it will be on the screen, but it's always powerful to see it in the black and white text. Let's read from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 through to 7. This is from the New Living Translation. It goes like this. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. But there'll be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that, belongs, that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You'll break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. There'll be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And his government and his peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this evening as we gather as your church. and, And this church reverberates with songs of high praise to our King. I thank you, as Tyler said at the beginning, that we get to come together and join in song and declare the truth of all truth, that Jesus is Lord. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise His name forevermore. And I thank you, Father God. Yes, that is the song that will be declared for eternity. But I thank you tonight, you would move every single one of our hearts to pick up that song in our own lives, our Mondays, our Tuesdays, our Wednesdays, our Thursdays, our high days, our holidays, our bad days, our tough moments. At every moment, we'll be able to sing praise the name of the Lord. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we get into the text, I've been pondering a little bit about life as one does at this time of year. I've got two little kids. Uh, one is two and a half, a little Olivia Grace, a flaming redhead delight, and a little boy called Benjamin Asher, who is uh, six months old. A little, a little, he's cute and cuddly, that guy. He's a squishy and got fat rolls for days. He's a lovely little guy. And uh, these two little kids have just become normal in our lives, just the, the run of the mill every day, changing nappies. I'm up all night to get changed nappy. That's the song that I like to sing. Anyway, let's keep moving. But anyway, just being relevant. But what happens is that actually, I can, uh, when I throw my mind back about the moment that I first realized that Fiona, Fiona and I found out that we were pregnant, I can tell you, even though that was over three years ago, I can tell you the emotions of that day. I remember Fiona coming to me and saying, Gabe, something's up. I know my body. Something's different. Something's not, not as it should be. I'm either sick or we're pregnant. So we're like, not too sure which one to go for. So what we did, we went to the doctor just here. Yeah, this is right here in Tableview, you guys. This story takes place right here in Tableview. Can you believe it? Real life. Went to the medical clinic down the road. We had a blood test, and they gave us back the data, and we looked at it, trying to make sense of it. What did it mean? So we sent the, the daughter, a photo to one of our doctor friends and says, translate this for us. And one word just came back, pregnant. And the whole world slowed down that moment and erupted with joy as we were in tears and laughed and we're like, we're pregnant. And it was so exciting as we started to drive around, we drove to the beachfronts to, to process this moment together and start to think about stuff. And you know, thinking about what, what should we call the child? Do you think it's a boy or a girl? What do you think? And we started to phone our relatives and tell them the good news and everyone got so excited and then we had the biggest conundrum of all. How are we going to put this on Facebook? You know, these days, you can't just say we're pregnant. You've got to be creative and quirky, you know. So that's the, the millennial way. But we did all that, and it was so exciting. And, and those first few days were just, were just a dream as we started to imagine what was going to be. But then what happened next would astound you. Nothing happened next for a long time. For a guy, it seemed like an endless, endless uh, horizon, and the baby seemed a long, long way away. And if you're unfamiliar with biology, it usually takes about nine months, plus, minus, give or take a few, for a baby to come. Just, I know, you learn a few things at church. But those nine months seemed the longest days of my life. I remember it just was like that excitement. And went, ah, oh, because nothing really changed. We just waited. And, and the, the, the bump in front of my wife's tummy just started to, it would grow a little bit slowly over time. And people would be, would be excited. But then that excitement would wane. You know, it's just like we're trying to, and we try trying to make sense of this moment. And it just seemed forever and ever and ever until we came about three weeks before the big day. And all of a sudden, it feels like somebody pressed the divine remote on life and just sped up very quickly. All of a sudden, my wife is saying, I told you to prepare the nursery. And everything has to happen very quickly and you're rushing, and you're packing bags and all the moment the moment comes along and, and because of complications, we had to do a C-section with, uh, with Olivia and we went in and praise the Lord for that. And it was just an incredible moment. We were in early in the morning and all of a sudden they're saying, put on the scrubs, put on the mask, you're coming in. And we were in the theater and I was like, I'm just like, I'm not even prepared. Is this nine months? So that wasn't long enough. That wasn't long enough for this moment. And all of a sudden the doctor's there and there's anesthetists and, and gynecologists and there's, there's this and that and pediatricians, they're all in the room I didn't know this is not how they pictured, they showed it in ER or Grey's Anatomy. It's different. And then I'm seeing it all of a sudden, and there's a cry, and I'm telling Olivia, I mean telling Fiona, Fiona, they're taking your insides and putting them out. And she says, I don't want to run in commentary. Shut up. And then all of a sudden, just was this incredible moment and out of her tummy comes this incredible bundle of red. Wailing at the top of her lungs, my little girl, Olivia Grace. And the tears started to flow. I was crying. Fee was crying. The doctor was crying. Just it was a great family affair. This thing, we were just weeping. And it was just the incredible moment. And as as they say in the classics, the rest is history. And that moment has happened. And and I just, I want to say this evening, as I tell about that, those nine-month journey where the moment of conception was just boom and exciting. But then the moment of having birth, of giving birth nine months later, there was this amazing gap in between which just seemed to go on forever. And my, the- my thesis, my theory this evening as we look into the Word of God at this time, there's often this-, this gap in between what God says and what God births in our lives, what God starts in our lives and promises in our life, and then this gap until we actually see it take shape and come to fruit. And actually, so often it's the- what we do in the gap that determines how we walk into our future. Because many people, I tell you, receive the promises of God. Many people receive the good words of God, the exciting moments, the moment when God speaks. But not many people walk into the inheritance God has got because in that gap, people kick out. It's a sign of moments. So I want to say to you today, the thesis of what I'm trying to do, if I can bring it down to statements, is that actually we have to learn that between what God has said, what God has promised, to when the, the promise comes to light, is often awkward, uncomfortable, and we don't really know what to do with it. And I want to help us tonight to tell you, what do you do between the promise and the breakthrough? And that's what we kind of lean into in this text this evening. And to help me do that, I need to lean into a bit of church history, more of the um, reformed traditions in, in churches that we don't actually participate often in the charismatic free church, but I want to bring it back. We're bringing the Reformation back as Justin Bieber once sang. I mean, Justin Timberlake, sorry. <laughs> it's trying to stay relevant. It's just so hard these days to keep up. But there's this, the season of, of, of Christmas, these four weeks leading up to the 25th of December, the church calendar is called something Advent. You might have heard that name, Advent. we have got an Advent calendar, which has got a chocolate behind each window. I want to tell you, in church tradition, the season Advent is something so beautiful and so helpful as we lean into the future of what God is doing, the coming King. And that word Advent, actually, when you break it down, that word simply means the waiting, the hoping, the expecting of something noble and important. Advent means the waiting, the hoping, the expectant of the king. And actually, in church tradition, what they do is the four weeks leading up to Christmas, they will come and they'll light four four subsequent candles. They'll light one candle the first week, the second candle week two. You get the picture all the way up to Christmas Day. And actually, we're going to do that this evening. We're going to participate in this moment. And actually, the first candle in the Advent tradition that they light, when they read this text that we read this evening, Isaiah 9, is called the candle of the promise, the hope of the promise. And we're going to be lighting that this evening. And this evening, if, I, if you would lean in. Come on. Tyler, do you want to help me here? I'm not very, I'm not very good at this thing. Janae? Janae, you're good at this. This is, your, this is Janae's uh, lighter. Not my color of choice. Boom. Here we go. Come on, Janae. We're doing this together tonight. Oh, there it is. There we go. Wow. Wow. Look at that. Look at that. Janae. It's very good. Good job. But this evening, I want to help us this evening simply to answer the question, what do we do between the promise and the breakthrough? And as we lean into this moment, I believe God is going to do something significant. So three things from this text, if you're all right. Number one this evening, I want to ask you to tell you, when it seems like it's delayed, when the promise, or the breakthrough in your life seems like it's delayed, hold on to hope. When it's delayed, hold on to hope. Let's go back to our text, Isaiah 9, as we opened it and we start to read. I want to tell you, the prophet Isaiah wrote those words, prophesied those words, 700 years before the birth of Christ. When you understand that there's this prophecy 700 years before the birth of Christ, the promise, almost the the conception moment in the heart of the people that a a Savior is going to come 700 years, your nine months pales into insignificance. No one's complaining about nine months any longer in the light of 700 years. 700 years, seven, eight, nine generations come and go between when Isaiah says hope is coming to when the hope actually came. 700 years. And actually, if you read the text and you go lean into the book of Isaiah, chapter 1 to 8, it's quite a bleak picture. It makes tough reading because Isaiah is warning the people, you are heading down a path of destruction. You're heading down a path of death. You're heading down a path of despair away from what God has called you. And the Assyrian army and the Babylonians are going to come and take you captive. And he's saying all this statement, and actually, if you we, we know church history, if you know their story, the Israel's story, the Assyrians come and attack them and lay siege to them. The Babylonians do come and take them into captivity. But in the midst of all that, he says, though you're going to go down this path, though you're going to go astray, I tell you, there's still a hope. There's still a promise that remains. And he says in chapter 9, as we read, nevertheless, the people will not live in the land of darkness forever. A light will come. A light will come. And that, that promise comes but 700 years before. And the lighting in that, as, as Isaiah 9 was said in that moment, prophesied. It was almost like the candle of hope was just lit in the people's hearts. As they went into captivity, as they went astray, as generation after generation lived in the sins of their forefathers and were wondering how long, O oh Lord, they had the candle of hope of Isaiah 9, a Savior's coming. Someone's coming. Someone's coming. And that candle was just a flicker, was just a flame burning in their heart. This evening, I want to tell you, sir, ma'am, just because it's delayed doesn't mean it's denied. That's really good. You probably should write that down, I think. Just because it's delayed doesn't mean it's denied. Or maybe we can say it more colloquially, because it's taking its time doesn't mean he's changed his mind. We often are a generation of people who kick out when when God has said something, but because we don't see the breakthrough, we kick out of the process. But actually, the power is in the process. The power is in what we do in the delays. The power is in how we handle God's apparent silences. And I want to tell you, don't confuse God's silences with His absence. He may be silent, but He's definitely not absent. He's working in the dark. I want to tell you in this moment, there's a scripture in the Proverbs that says that a pregnant woman does not get diminished while she waits. She gets larger. It sounds so real, eh? Come on. But this is so real that actually as we wait, the posture of our hearts is not to actually shrink back. As we wait for the promise, not to get despondent and go, how long? Where is God in the mess? What is God doing? Why? Where are you, God? It's actually the church, our Christian response is actually to get larger with expectation, not less. The silence is there. The waiting there is to actually promote us into the more of God, not to pull us away from it. And actually, if you got your Bibles and you flicked the few pages from Isaiah all the way to the last book of the Old Testament called Malachi, just a few pages over in your book in the Bible, those f- few flicks to get from Isaiah to Malachi are 300 years. 300 years. And the last phrase, one of the last phrases in the book of Malachi, a prophet 300 years later, four generations later on from Isaiah, is still saying the same thing. Though you're still in darkness, though you're still living as a people walking away from God, the Son of Righteousness will come and He'll rise with healing in His wings and He'll turn the hearts of the fathers back to the sons. Can you imagine 300 years sitting in that? That's the same sermon for 300 years. They tell you, You're wicked, but there's a hope coming. And can you imagine the people going, We've heard this, get a new sermon. But they keep on with the same thing, the hope, the candle in the dark, the hope of the promise is flickering in their heart. Though the enemy would come and the Babylonians try to squash it out, the hope of the promise still remained. Someone's coming. Someone's coming. Someone's coming. And actually, if you flick over from the book of Malachi into the New Testament, in my Bible, it's separated by one page. The Old Testament into the New Testament, that one page represents another 400 years. It's called the silent years, intertestimonial periods where they said that actually felt like God was actually silent on them. How long, O Lord, will we wait? But a remnant held the candle of hope in the dark. Someone's coming. Hope is coming. Hope is coming. And as you turn that page, you we find this, this couple, the first, it's just a profound, that with all this imagery of, of pregnant women waiting with expectancy, it's, it's so, God, I love God's sense of humor, that all these wait years, 700 years of waiting, and the first page you turn over the New Testament, the first people who respond to the promise are an old, barren couple. It's like, that is, doesn't make logical sense. And then the very next couple, the next person you meet is a young teenage virgin. How is the promise going to come through these people? But God says, actually, those delayed, it's not denied. I'm working in the dark and I work in ways that are not your ways. On a timeline that's not your timeline. But I'm the promise maker and I'm also the promise keeper. And I'll make it, see it through. I want to tell you this evening a, a story that we love in this church, and we tell it and we'll keep telling it. It's about my good friend Wayne Barthus over there and his amazing family. It's dramatic, eh? Wayne Barth, Can we do the light on them? No, I'm joking. <laughs> if we were working, boom. Wayne Barthus and his amazing wife, Jen, for many years, they struggled to fall pregnant. And there's, they had this desire in their heart for kids. If you've ever met Wayne and Jen, you've never met another couple who have a, a bigger heart for children. They've run the swap shop uh, the soup kitchen in noon for multiple years, and the kids just stream around Wayne and Jen. just this is a couple who were made to, to have kids and family around them. And yet and they had this promise that God wants to give us a family, the promise. But between the promise and the breakthrough were many years of heartaches, of pain, of falling pregnant and losing the babies. Of, and they've shared this test with me before in the church, but for time's sake, of, of going to ultrasounds and having bad reports. And, and, I, and I, if you've ever walked something of that journey, you'll understand. If not, you don't know the depths of that pain and, that, and that, 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 yeah, that sorrow to walk that journey. But between the promise and the breakthrough, God's always working in the dark. I can't tell you why. I can't tell you how, but I tell you He is the promise maker and He is the promise keeper. And this amazing story he doesn't find its conclusion because it's still outworking. But there came this incredible moment when they suddenly decided, actually, we're going to go and adopt a baby. And as they went on that journey, they got a phone call one day and, and they all said, actually, we have a, a young boy for you. And actually, we want to tell you, come meet him tomorrow. He's waiting for you. And his name is Zachary. And Wayne went to the dictionary to see what, what the Google at the time, the Google. And he looks up, what does Zachary mean? And in this journey, they said, his name is Zachary, this boy that we think would suit your family. And as he read that name, Zachary, Wayne just started to cry because the name Zachary means the Lord has remembered. You can't make that stuff up. And the next day they went and they met their little boy face to face. And Wayne Wayne saw him behind a couch and he was dodging and ducking because the little boy was awkward. And Wayne just started to cry because that's my boy. That's my boy, Zachary. I tell you, in between the promise and the breakthrough, there's a journey. But just because it's delayed doesn't mean it's denied. He hasn't changed his mind. He's still the promise keeper. So tonight I say, are you waiting for a spouse? And you've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Maybe you're waiting for a new job. You're waiting for healing to come and you've come up for prayer multiple times, and you're feeling despondent, you're waiting for a child, and you've been praying, God, when will it come? You've been waiting for breakthrough in a moment, and an addiction, and a habit, and you've been waiting, but you're saying, how long, oh Lord, I wanted to tell you today, hold on to hope. Hold on to hope. Light the candle of hope this evening in your heart afresh. Secondly, this evening, I want to say, when it's disappointed, hold on to hope. I'm a man who of fine taste. I love to frequent restaurants that have pictures of the food on the menus. You know the kind of restaurants I mean, eh? The ones that have two-for-one specials on different nights of the week. Fine dining, if you know what I mean. The reason why I like that is I like to choose my food based on what I see the picture as. I don't want to read the description. I don't have to do work. I'm here. You must do the work. Show me the picture. I'll choose it. I'm the Netflix generation. But I know those things, I don't know if you've had the moment where you look at the picture and you go, oh, that burger looks good. The buns are just like these, they're just beautiful, they're golden. The cheese is just melting and the bacon is just crispy, just perfect crispy. It's like just this picture of heaven on a, on a, on a paper. You're like, I want that. I want that. No, that and no, the Coke Zero. No. And then you wait and you're like, oh, this is going to be good. And then they come with your food and they go, here's your food. And the burger... Looks nothing like what the picture looks like. Have you ever been in that moment? You're like, you you have missed you've lied to me. Fast food restaurant that I will not name, you have lied to me. How dare you? I look at the picture, I look at and it's this disappointment and you look over and you're seeing someone ordering a toaster sandwich, like, I wish I'd gone with that. And his disappointment and frustration sets, and I don't know if I'm the only one, but actually if we look at Scripture, 700 years of waiting and anticipation, uh, waiting for something noble and the King to come and the promise after promise. And then Christ comes in dramatic fashion to a virgin, a young virgin who's not married properly and there's controversy around it and she gets birth. And Jesus was born not in a palace, not with fanfare, not with, hey, I'm here, boom, like Thor coming to earth. That's what I would imagine would happen. 700 years, seeing it, and everyone falls down. Sorry, I've been watching too many movies. But no, he comes in obscurity, in poverty, in a manger, and was despised by people. Can you, and, I, and I don't blame them. If I'm honest, I don't blame the people. There's this great sense of, for the majority, sense of disappointment. Because false messiahs were rising and claiming, follow me, follow me. And people follow them and they would be, disappear. And they would disappear. Come and go. And there was almost like another one. Another one? Is this the one? Oh, it's just a baby from, from Nazareth. What good can ever come from Nazareth? And it carried a sense of disappointment. Is that the promise? And I can imagine that sort of moment. I want to say on the back of that, don't disqualify what God is doing just because you think he's done. Let me say that again. Some of you didn't get it. Don't disqualify what God is doing in your life just because you think he has done. Some of us are putting a full stop and leaning into disappointment when God has actually just put a comma and said, you ain't seen nothing yet. Watch this space. Let me tell you, when I first arrived in Cape Town, I remember 10 years ago I came on the back of such faith, courage, leaving Durban. This might not seem a big deal for you, but I came from Durban, moved to Cape Town in my Toyota Conquest Thinking, here we go. We're going to change the world. I was just foaming at the mouth, pumped for the gospel. I was going to preach. And the whole of Cape Town were going to come to Jesus because I am here. I thought, you guys have never seen a redhead preacher like me before. People are going to flock. And I remember coming with such faith and courage in my heart and said, we're going to start a youth ministry that's just going to rival any ministry in the world. It's going to be pounding with kids. It's going to salvation, revival. Here we come. And night one, we, uh, the, the man who led the church previously, Wally, made a call, said, anyone who's got teenage kids, send them over to this house. we have going to have a youth meeting. And I'm like, prepare the place. You know, hot dog, pre- I mean, preparation for youth ministry, hot dogs, Coke, and faith. Here we go. We're going to do this thing. And I was so excited and the day opened and nine kids turned up. One of them had a droopy eye. I'm just joking. I'm not being, a... one of them was limping. No, I apologize. That's unfair. They were good people. But let me tell you in that moment, that opportunity for all that faith that had built up in that one moment was like a lead balloon. Everything was gone. You're going, is this it? Is this what I came for? Is this what the promise God, all the words that I feel you've spoken why I've left home or friends to come for nine kids in a lounge? Oh, Disappointment. But I want to say in this moment, don't listen to the wrong, wrong voices while, you in the, while you're in the waiting room. Don't listen to the wrong voices. You see, in the moment of, have you ever, ever been in a waiting room, a doctor's waiting room? There's no better place for negative voices to start to speak. People waiting for diagnosis. People waiting for doctor's reports. And people, you, you just have to mention, why are you here? No, I just, got, I've just got, came for a blood test. Ooh, I've heard there's some really nasty stuff going on at the moment. Really? And you start to hear different voices. And actually, if you pull that metaphor into what are we talking about this evening, the space of between the promise and the breakthrough is like the waiting room. And so many people disqualify what God is wanting to do because in the waiting room, they allow the negative voices to start to speak into the area of disappointment. And start to disqualify them in what God is doing. And I believe in this moment that actually you and I simply put that the thing you feed the longest will be the thing that becomes the strongest. If you don't believe me, we have to another biology 101. My mom and dad had three children. They fed the middle one the most. I'm the youngest. Biology, that's how it works. But all humor aside, actually, in the spiritual, the thing you feed the longest, positively or negatively, the voice you listen to will determine the future you we'll walk into. The thing you, you fill your mind with will become the strongest thing in your life and the determining factor. So in that vein, I want to tell you that Jesus defines the promise, not us. Some of us have to let go of the promise and say, Jesus, you're the one who keeps this promise. I'm not going to hold you to what I think that promise is going to look like because he has a greater design, a greater plan at work. And actually so much so, don't despise what he gives you. The scripture says, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Don't despise the ordinary. Don't disqualify what you think is ordinary and mundane because you think actually I'm waiting for another breakthrough moment. God says, in the waiting room, I'm qualifying you. In the waiting room, I'm, making, I'm preparing you for something greater. You see, when Jesus comes as king, it's not always as we would expect. Jesus grows up as a child, and he grows up in favor with God, and man, he starts to do amazing miracles, and a bit of a crowd mentality starts to follow him, as people are going, this is amazing, maybe he is the one, maybe he is the one, and the disciples come and they say, Jesus, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Basically saying, are we on a mission, we're going to take down Rome? We're going to slaughter Rome. We're not going to see them being the victims. We're going to take down Rome and, and march victoriously, and we're going to be with you. Let's take down Rome. And they've got this, this faith. And Jesus says this. He says, no, I've not come to overthrow Rome. Oof, and almost a disappointment settles in them. Because actually, why? Jesus says, I'm not here to overthrow Rome, something that you can see and touch and feel around you. I'm here to overthrow hell. Something greater. Something bigger. And though disappointment was there as an option, Jesus said, no, I'm going to take that away from you because even though when it looks like it's disappointing, hold on to hope. He's working something greater. He's working something greater in your life. Thirdly and finally this evening, not just when it's delayed or when it's disappointed, when it's dead, would you hold on to hope? When the marriage seems like it's done and you don't know where to go, hold on to hope. When the finances have dried up, when the diagnosis seems set, when the years seem wasted, when the sin seems insurmountable and unforgivable, hold on to hope. You see, an amazing thing in this book of Isaiah, if you read it, Isaiah loves to use this imagery of something called a tree stump. I don't know if any of you noticed that the tree stump was there. It was there. But if you look, read the text of Isaiah, he over and over uses this phrase of a tree stump, talking about Israel, saying, but the whole understanding of the concept is saying Israel, which has is often been described as this great tree, this place of, of salvation and restoration for the nations. Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, will hearken to this image again, saying, God will make you into a great tree again, where people will come and find shade and life under that tree. But Isaiah says, You were a great tree, but you have been severed and cut down like a tree stump. Because of your sin, because of your rebellion, because, you, because of moments you didn't, you didn't walk the way that God had called you, you've been severed and cut down to something of former glory. And a tree stump is a reminder of what was and what will never be again. This was a massive palm tree in Durbanville on Thursday. But now it's just a tree stump. A reminder of what was but will never be. But then Isaiah starts to speak, and we'll read a scripture this evening. Isaiah 11 will be on the screen behind me. Isaiah 11, he takes a turn of phrase, and he says this. He says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. It's an amazing illustration. He starts to talk about this moment. He says that actually the high point of Israel's story for them at this moment as 700 years of pain and anxiety and fear and brokenness start to grip the nation, they always look back and say, restore to us David's throne. David was good enough. We'll take that. But Jesus says even David failed. David's father was Jesse. And he said from the family, that line they would promise so much but delivered so little. That stump, even from that place, a root is going to come again. And life is going to come from that stump. Life is going to come from that thing that has been severed and cut down. Life is going to come. What has been cut short will bear fruit. There's another time it appears in Scripture. Job chapter 14. It will be on the screen as well. Job chapter 14 verse 8 to 9. Let me tell you about Job before we read it. Job was a man of sorrow. A man who had everything tangible stripped away from him. You think you've experienced loss? You've got nothing on our boy Job. You think you've experienced hard times? You've got nothing on Job. You think you're going through tough financial moments? You've got nothing on Job. He was stripped bare of everything. And in his moment of greatest despair, when he says, I know what you promised, but I'm struggling to see it, God. I don't know when the breakthrough is coming. I don't know when the relent is coming. I don't know when that moment is coming. Job says these words. He says, Though its roots have grown old in the earth and its stump decays, talking about his own life, he says, At the scent of water, it will bud and sprout again like a new seedling. At just the scent of water. At just the smell of water. The stump that has been cut down, my life will start to bear fruit once again. We find the scripture, Proverbs 13 verse 12. Peer on the screen again. Proverbs 13 verse 12 says this, hope deferred. The amplified version says hope deferred, hope delayed, hope disappointed, or hope crushed makes the heart sick. If you've ever had a disappointment, a delay, crush, if you've had love that's not been responded to, you've, you've put yourself out there and you've been denied that. You've gone to the doctor time and time again and the report keeps coming back. Sorry, you can't fall pregnant. Sorry, you can't. You've put out your CV out there again and again. It and just keeps coming back negative. The bank balance keeps coming back, never grows up. The promotion keeps going to someone else, not you. You know that your hope deferred, disappointed, delayed makes your heart sick. But the scripture says, don't put a full stop there, sir, man. Comma. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Now let's just land this with by doing some work together. When it says a tree of life, why is that significant for you and I? Is that the whole Bible, the whole narrative of the Bible happens between two trees. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we introduced to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A tree that was there in the garden, beautiful, but off limits. And God said, that's not for you. But Eve reached into that tree and took what was not as for her and brought death upon humanity. But the whole story culminates in Revelations. If you go read the last few chapters of Revelations, that says that a tree of life will resurrect itself again, and the nations will come and eat from its fruit. A tree of death and a tree of life. How does that journey happen from the promise to the breakthrough? How do we see that? Well, actually, in the very big, middle of all of it is another tree called the cross of Christ. And actually, it's not a tree of glory or splendor. It's a tree that has been cut down and broken and been forged into an instrument of death. Why is this so profound for you and I? Is actually when Jesus died, he actually came. I want to tell you, Jesus came not actually to be born. All that Christmas will get you excited. He came for earth, yes, he's gonna be born. Yes, that's an amazing moment. But Jesus came not to be born, but to die. His mission from day one was I'm gonna come and lay my life down, and actually if you follow his genealogy, Jesus was not just some odd person along the journey, every single detail was covered, in the waiting God was working, in the shadow God was working, weaving from the line of Jesse, to the line of David, all the way through, to Joseph, to Mary, to Jesus, because from the, from the stump of Jesse, he said a fruit is coming, a fruit is coming, 700 years it might take, but that fruit will have significance for eternity, and what is so profound as this journey goes on, I won't tell you the whole secret of this moment is actually in the last verse of Isaiah chapter 9. It says, For unto us a child is born, and it tells a mighty God, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, everlasting father. And it says, How is this all going to happen? The promise to the breakthrough, how will this happen? It says, The passionate commitment of the Lord of the heavens armies will make this happen. A better translation is, The zeal of the Lord will make this happen. Or better still says, The passion of the Lord will make this happen. If you want to know what the passion of Jesus Christ's heart was, it's the cross. That's why it's called the cross of the passion of the Christ. What is our guarantee this evening? I can tell you, sir, ma'am, I don't know how long that you've been, your promises seem delayed. I don't know how deep your disappointment goes. I don't know how severed the stump of your life feels. But I do know that he's the promise maker and he's the promise keeper. Not because of religion or tradition, but because the cross of Christ still stands in the middle of our depravity. How do I know that? Because in Isaiah 53 verse 8, talking about Jesus, it says his life was cut short, severed in midstream. Before it could become this mighty tree, it was cut short like a stump for you and I. And I want to tell you, the Bible tells us, that on that day when he died, he was laid in darkness. And as he went into the darkness, the world felt the delay was over because death had come. There's nothing more in his life. The enemy thought they had won and won a victory in that moment. But I want to tell you, in that moment, in the dark, in the place of defeat and despair, in the moment of our greatest depravity, in the moment of our greatest sin, the moment of the greatest defeat in your life, the moment of your divorce, the moment of your greatest temper that you regret, the moment of your greatest brokenness, in that darkest place, the darkest night of your soul, sir, ma'am, whether you're in it or it's yet to come or it's behind you, that darkest place in your life, Jesus was whispering this. I am the light of the world, and the darkness has not overcome it. I am the light of the world, and the darkness has not overcome it. I am the light of the world, and the darkness has not overcome it. So man, but not, not might seem like a raging fire, but I want to tell you tonight, would you light the candle of hope? Would you light the candle of hope afresh? Can we stand to our feet, please? I've been preparing for this for three weeks. Three, four weeks. I've been so excited to preach this. So, so excited. Because I believe God is wanting to do something deeper than just a Sunday moment. I believe God wants to resurrect dreams that have been cast aside, resurrect hope deferred, hope that's been despondent, hope that's been left on the side, but actually God's saying, I want you to light the candle of hope again. Though you might not see the breakthrough yet, would you hold on to hope, sir, man? That word hope that Isaiah uses could have been translated two ways. But the way Isaiah translated it was the word kavar, Q-A-V-A-R. And that idea of kavar is a sense of when you hold a cord, a stretchy cord, and you hold it to tension. And you keep pulling it, and you keep pulling it, and that's the waiting. When you're waiting, it's pulling, it's pulling, it's pulling, it's pulling, and with, we're all leaning back going, when is that thing about to snap? When is that thing about to break? When is it about to break? And maybe you feel like that in your life. You feel like you've been stretched to the point. I want to tell you, God says in a moment, as you lean, He can bring the breakthrough now. He can bring the breakthrough now. And it won't be a breakthrough of death. It'll be the breakthrough of life in every situation. Why? Because he did not stay dead. The stump that was cut short returned back to life, holding the keys of life and death. What the enemy had planned for destruction, I will work for good. Sir, ma'am, today, wherever you are, would you light the candle of hope? Close your eyes, please, with me. I feel this evening strongly that there's some people here it feels like all hope is gone. You've been going and this is the end of the year and you're feeling tired, but this is more than just a tie, end of year tired. This is, you say, I'm, there's some, a deep spiritual ache in me. I've tried to do this thing and I've tried to relight the flame. I've come and pressing and God, I need you, but it just feels like it's silent. He feels like he's far. My sin has seemed like it's wedged such a deep gap and I can't come back. I feel like I've run away way too far. Maybe you've run faster, man, want I tell you the grace of Jesus Christ runs further still every time. With every eye closed, I want to say if tonight, if you're saying, I need Jesus to reignite the flame in my heart, the flame of love for him, a flame of devotion that's greater than sin, greater than my shame, greater than my guilt, i love you just to lift your hand so I can pray for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Father God, right now, whether this is the first time or hundredth time, I thank you, God, your mercies are new every morning your grace comes in like a tidal wave not a trickle not just enough but more than enough washing us white as snow I thank you Father God right now would we with faith receive the grace that's on offer I thank you Father God hearts would leap into flame hearts that have been doused by the the waves and relentless waves of life I thank you Father God tonight broken wick you will not snuff out You light it up. You light it up, Father God. I thank you. Lights, hearts are coming alive to you this evening. Hearts of hope and trust are coming. Thank you, Jesus. In this moment, as hands are going up, I thank you. Hearts are coming to life. You do your best work when we've got nothing. You do your best work when we give you everything. I thank you for this in Jesus' name.